children improve their thought process. And um, we do know, though, that we don't know the background, that it has been distributed in a variety of ways. The game Husker Do, some of you may remember that game. It actually means, do you remember? In Danish and Norwegian, it released, was released in the 1950s. Concentration, which was more than 30 years, a popular television game show, and was also made into a board game based on the same idea of the game we now call memory. Now, like the games we talked about the last few weeks, memory is not a real complicated game. It doesn't have intricate rules for play. In fact, while the instruction booklet, say, for Scrabble is multiple pages, the instruction sheet for memory is one piece of paper, kind of a half sheet, And part of that, you can see wide margins, and part of it is telling you how to punch out the little pieces of cardboard so that you can get started the first time you take it out of the box. Very simply, it's just a matching game. There's 72 cards, 36 sets of two pictures or words, and you mix them up, and you lay them out in rows, and you start taking turns turning over two at a time. And the object is that that the two cards you turn over match. If they do match, you pick them up and you try again. If they don't match, you go to the next player. And you play until all the cards are matched and the person with the most matches wins. Now, Milton Bradley makes a number of versions of the memory game. This one that you see here on the screen and I have it here is uh, the version Dora the Explorer. Uh, All the cards on it have something to do with this Nickelodeon television program. They make versions that are thematic to Blue's Clues and Spider-Man and Disney and Winnie the Pooh, My Little Pony and Tonka Trucks and one of my favorites, Mr. Potato Head. All the things about Mr. Potato Head on 72 cards. As you can tell, these these games are geared to children. In the box of this edition and most of the other boxes say ages three and up. But though the game of memory may be geared to children, the idea of memory and the idea of remembering is something that is important to all of us. Memory is essential to our lives. Whether we realize it or acknowledge it, memory guides us and shapes us and often sustains us. We often pride ourselves when we remember and we chide ourselves when we forget. Norman Wright once wrote, our life in one degree or another is a reflection of our memory. You try forgetting an anniversary or a birthday or the details of your first date with that special person and then you come back and tell me that memory is not very important. But if we think remembering and memory is important to us, Scripture tells us it's even more important to God. Scholars tell us that the word remember isn't uh, really all that bad of of a descriptor to summarize the entire Old Testament. Jesus says one of the primary tasks of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of Jesus' words and of God's activity. Remembering is that important. The scriptures call us again and again to remember God, to remember who he is, to remember what God has done. In Exodus 3, 
God says to Moses, you tell the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God says to Israel in in Deuteronomy 5, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And a little later in Deuteronomy, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know your heart, whether you would keep his commands. And in his second letter to Timothy, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my God. This brief sampling makes it clear this Spiritual memory is important to God. And why is it important to God and why should it be important to us? Why does God talk about it so often? Because we so easily forget. One of our problems with remembering is that we tend to have selective memory. As a child, I think I'm better now, but as a child, I could tell you who won the World Series 25 years before that. But I had trouble remembering to uh, take out the garbage or make my bed or the fact that I had a big test the next day at school. My mother's here today. She could probably tell you about it. Actually, as I think about that, maybe that's not such a good idea to go talk to my mother about that or anything else. We tend to practice selective memory. God isn't all bad. Some things we hope to forget. Some things we should forget. But often our selective memory is detrimental to us. God keeps telling the Israelites to remember Egypt because they have selective memory about Egypt. As soon as all the things get a little difficult, they say, God, why did you drag us out here? We were better off in Egypt. God, the desert's so hot. We were better off in Egypt. God, we don't have any food to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Don't just leave us alone. We were better off in Egypt. Quickly they forget. How quickly we forget. When things go against us, when we don't get what we want, when we think we don't when we don't get what we think we deserve. God, what are you doing to me? Why don't you care for me anymore? What's going on here? It's all selective memory, which is why remembering is such an important spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue because There are some things that, yes, we just remember. Some good, some bad. Most important, most important things, we have to make a conscious decision to remember. It has to be intentional. If you're a parent, you know, how many times when your child was small did you remark about something cute they did or they said, and you thought, you know, we should write that down, and then you say, well, we'll remember. Now you're saying to each other, what was that cute thing they did? What was that funny thing she said? I wish we'd have written that down. I sometimes ask myself why we keep all the boxes and boxes of stuff in the basement that we do. Most of it's not stuff we're going to use. Why do we keep it? Because it's memories. Memories of our boy's childhood, memories of our childhood. Some of it's memories of our parents' childhood. 
And sometimes, maybe often, in order to remember, we need things that remind us. We need markers. We need signposts. Things that keep us from forgetting. Because the Israelites so easily forget that God has has set up these reminders, these piles of stones, so that they will remember. It's because of our selective spiritual memories that God creates memory markers, memorials, stacks of stones to help us remember Him and what He's done. God knows that we need periodic reminders of the past to help us remember. We need weekends like this one to help us remember. Friday's Chapel so powerful. I stirred within me both acclamations of praise and tears of joy as I recalled all the ways in which God has blessed us in this place. I walked out thinking it's so good to remember. Remembering is at the heart of God's call to, to a weekly practice of corporate worship. Unfortunately, we too often run right past God's signpost because we've come to believe that corporate worship is primarily about us. We come thinking, what's God going to do for me today? What am I going to get out of this today? Corporate worship's about God. What can I bring to you, God? What can I offer of myself to you, God? How do I need to be reminded of you today, God? Our songs, our prayers, the the reading of Scripture, what we give, the sacraments, even the sermon. Every moment of corporate worship is intended as a marker, a signpost, a stack of stones that will remember who God is and what God has done. It's a signpost for remembering that the church fathers established patterns for worship, daily patterns and and yearly patterns. The church calendar that takes us through the life of Christ helps us remember all of the ways in which God has spoken to us and come to us in Christ Jesus. It helps us remember Christ because we have a tendency to forget, to take Christ for granted. The crosses in our churches remind us of the length and the breadth and and the depth and the height of God's love for us, of the infinite measure God is willing to take in order to redeem us. And sometimes, maybe often, God uses the faith of of others as a memory marker, too. Sometimes the most powerful reminder of God's grace and mercy, of God's, God's wondrous acts in the past, is the witness of someone else who has trusted Him. I suspect that For many of you who walk onto this campus and a person of godly influence comes immediately to mind. Perhaps as you enter the doors of of the Chamberlain Center, you remember a professor that deeply influenced your life for Christ. Or you walk into the Lucky or Fancher or the Campus Center, you remember a staff member who was kind to you, who listened to you, who shared some of his or her struggles with you. And even now, now your eyes well up with tears a bit. You think of where your life might be if it weren't for the kindness of that person. You walk down the halls of Shen or Lambine or Gillette or Rothenbuehler or one of the apartments and you remember late night conversations 
about God, and church, and life, and all kinds of things. And you give thanks to God for the people on your floor who represented Christ even if it's not here on this campus, it's someone. We're all here today because of the influence of someone else on our lives. I remember as a junior in college, sitting in a Bible class one day, I was furiously taking notes as as this new young professor was lecturing to us about the Old Testament. And, And all of a sudden I noticed that he had stopped speaking. I glanced up and he was just staring out the window. Just staring. We all kind of nudged each other like, what's wrong with him? Why is he staring out the window? And we all turned and looked, and, and there was this beautiful rainbow across the sky. And he just stood there, staring out the window, mesmerized, misty-eyed. Maybe five silent minutes. It was a long time. And finally, he turned back to us and softly and reverently he said to us, don't ever take a rainbow for granted. It's a sign of of God's grace. I'd known the story of Noah and the flood all my life. I'd seen lots of rainbows. They pretty much didn't mean much of anything to me until that day. It struck me that his eyes and his, his heart were were tuned to remember, and ours weren't. And maybe that was just one reason why his relationship with Christ was so much more vibrant than ours was. But I have never forgotten that. I sometimes wonder if in our fast-paced society that that doesn't create a change in the games that we play. I mean, that's particularly true about a game like memory. It's a children's game. We're all that thrilled with children's games because, honestly, I think most of the time, we don't think life is really about children. Life's about us. And and these kinds of games are too slow. We want something a little more fast-paced, a little more exciting. But memory's the kind of game that it shouldn't be rushed. And I suspect one of the reasons that we have short memories about God is because we don't take the time to think about God. We don't massage our memories about what God has done. We pick up the Bible and we read in order to get something out of it. Instead of reading the Bible simply to listen to God, to experience God, simply to be with God. I know we have to be careful that the signposts, the, the pile of rocks, don't become more important than God to whom these signposts and rocks point. You can carry it to extremes. A couple of years ago, the Chicago Tribune Tribune ran a story about Dave Davila, who at the age of 24 took a job in Chicago and had to leave his close-knit family in uh, East Moline, Illinois. He enjoys his new job, his new life, but back home, his family gatherings just weren't the same without Dave, and his mother was particularly affected by this. So eventually his mother came up with a plan. She took a digital photo of Dave had it blown up to actual height, five foot, eight inches. I would have loved to have been working at the Kinko's that day when that was taking place. And then she had it mounted on heavy cardboard from a new stove that a neighbor had just purchased. And so here's Dave standing 
sort of, casually, hands in pockets, a shirt out, khaki pants, standing in the kitchen. And they called him Flat Dave. Now, at first, Flat Dave just showed up for uh, and stood quietly by at family gatherings. And then word spread throughout the community, and he became something of a celebrity in East Moline. They thought Houghton was a dull place. Complete strangers are stopping by the house. They want to have a picture posing with Flat Dave. His younger brother said, Dan, I'm not really surprised by that. I think Flat Dave is better looking than the original. But even more odd, sometimes things are really awkward for the real Dave. Now, the family now calls him Thick Dave. And he says, I'm in Chicago talking to my mom on the phone. She says, hold on a minute. I've got to load you in the van. He said, it's a little weird. Sometimes the markers, the reminders, the pile of rocks, sometimes they become more important than God. But I suspect that's not typically our problem. You know, you can't win the game of memory unless you concentrate on what's being revealed as the tiles are turned over. You have to focus on each card so that you can come back to it and discover the matching piece. And if you don't concentrate on remembering where the pieces are, you're going to have a little chance of making a match and winning the game. Because the point of the game is to remember what happened so you're ready for what's going to happen. And our spiritual memories are not just about remembering the past. To remember the past in order to live more fully It's about remembering God in the past so that we will see him at work in the present. Christian memory is always looking ahead, even as we are looking back. We remember God's acts in the long past and in our past in order to be challenged to live for God in the present and on into the future. Christian memory is not nostalgia. It's, It's motivation and renewal and hope and life. That the God who's acted in the past for others will do it in the present for us. That God who's acted in the past for us will do it again in the future for others. God's not just concerned about history only so we might remember, but so that in remembering, we might live with a brighter future of hope and life and trust and power. You know, I have a tendency to worry about the future. How is this going to work out? How is that going to be resolved? When I remember what God has done, I am much more apt to relax and to trust God about what he's going to do. So Moses tells the Israelites, don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. In the face of threats from their enemies, Nehemiah admonishes the leaders of Israel, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. The psalmist, feeling as though the walls of life are crushing in on him, declares, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And out of that remembering, he has hope. And the memory stakes that we set up are not just about giving hope to to us, about passing that hope and faith 
onto those who come after us. As the Israelites cross over the Jordan River onto dry ground, and the, and the member of each of the tribes of Israel, one member of each tribe, picks up a huge stone and carries it to the bank of the river. And they stack them up. God says, the reason I want you to do that is so that later on, when your children walk by this spot, they're going to look at those stones and they're going to say, what are those about? And it's going to be an open door for you to tell them about me and about what I've done for them. Sometimes the markers, the stones that we set up, are not only about us, but they're about those who come after us. Just as others have influenced our lives, so we're called to influence others. To leave behind markers, stones, people can look at and say, oh yeah, I remember when God did that. And be encouraged about what God can do for them. imperative that we remember that genuine remembering in a spiritual sense is always about obedience. Jesus warns the church at Sardis, remember what you've received and heard and obey it and repent. Eventually the game of memory is about matches. And it seems to me that the, the, the making the match is a metaphor for taking action about what you've remembered. And I would argue that that the Bible, because I think the Bible does, that you haven't fully remembered. You haven't really done what God wants you to do until you do something about those memories. In the Scriptures, memory and remembering is always more than just simply recalling something to mind. It begins with recalling it to mind, but it always involves action. In fact, the implication of Scripture is that if you don't do anything about what you have brought to your mind, then you haven't truly remembered. It's not just thinking about it. It's thinking about it so that you'll do something about it. It seems to me that the most creative people, sometimes the most strangely creative people, But creative people, nonetheless, are the people who write television commercials. One of my favorites takes place in the kitchen of a small apartment. involves a young couple. He's sitting at the table reading the paper. She walks in, is looking through cabinets. She says, "Um, do you know what today is? He says, of course I do. She says, did you get me a present? He says, deadpan, no, I didn't. Flowers? No. A card? But I meant to. She ponders that a second. You you meant to. He says, I really thought about it. She turns to him, big smile on her face, runs over and says, I love you. Gives him a big hug. And the announcer says, if only it really was the thought that counts. Then he goes on to say, fortunately, Walgreens can give you what you need to get your presents. Remembering is more than just thinking about it. 
Israel's called to remember so that they'll obey. Israel's called to remember so they'll trust. And we're called to remember so that we will obey and so that we will trust. Charles Dickens is, I think, most famous for his novels, but he did write a number of short stories. One of those stories is called The Tale of a Chemist. And in this futuristic tale, a famous chemist is tortured by painful memories of his past. And he tries desperately to shake these memories from his mind, these things that are haunting him, plague his days, torment his thoughts. But he's, he's unable to. Eventually, he, he decides he's undergo, going to undergo a series of experimental treatments that will obliterate his memory and give him a new lease on life. And he goes through the treatments, and it works. Complete success. But the chemist soon discovers that the obliteration of his memory has some consequences. Because his entire memory has been erased, he has no past. He can't remember where he was born or who his parents were, who his friends are, where he's come from. And he's lost without the simple recollection of, of faces and names. Not only are the painful memories gone, but all the memories that compose his identity as a human being are gone. At the end of the story, the chemist cries out for his past, even the painful memories, all of it. He wants what he has lost. And wilting inside, he cries out again and again, keep my memory green. Keep my memory green. Keep my memory green. Our life, one degree or another, is a reflection of our memories. Are we keeping those memories green? Keeping them central so that we will obey and trust in the God who has done so much in the past Promises even more in the future. Gracious Father, we thank you for the memories you give us of your power and your grace, who you are and all that you have done. Lord, help us keep our memories. Christ Jesus, amen. In response to the word of God, and in closing, I invite you to take your hymnal and to turn to hymn number 43 as we sing together, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.